Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for listening and making commitment to your learning. We definitely hope you are doing well. Um, It is November of 2021, which is kind of nice that we're going to head into 2022 soon. Um, Yeah, anyways. Uh, But we are your hosts. I'm Yvonne Brandenburg, joined by the Jordan Porter. Hello. And of course, because it's cardiology, we got to get our, our heart guy in. So this is, uh, we're joined by Ed Durham, who's got our CVT, Lat G, and a VTS in cardio. Hello, sir. Hello. How's everybody tonight? Pretty, Tired. Actually, it's kind of funny <laughs> because it is, it is nighttime. We're doing oh, right. this on a Thursday night. We normally are kind of in the day. Yeah. We promise not to fall asleep on you guys. I swear. <laughs> Ooh, that, that's a that's a touchy promise considering <laughs> uh, I've been away Jordan's for like two days overnights. Yeah. Crazy lady. I know. I know. But you know, it is what it is. Ed's, I, Ed's finishing his, uh, or do you have to work tomorrow? Or are you done for your week? I'm done for my week. <sighs> um, and then now it's just all these conferences. <laughs> then, and then it's a weekend full of various conferences and teaching opportunities. Yeah. Which I love. And you're actually going places, right? You're not just doing them all from home. I'm not doing them all from home. I am going places. I'm doing some from home. Um, busy, I like busy going man. places. I like going places. I might, I like seeing people. I miss I, what I hated about COVID was I miss the immediate yeah. feedback you get from speaking to a crowd. Mm-hmm, Bless Ibex for having it in person this year. We had a great time. It was so good. People were warm and friendly and wonderful. And, uh, you know, Western, I did Western uh, in September Mm. also. Great conference. And they're really, people should start going again. If you have a chance to go in person, don't be afraid. They're taking really good care of the participants and the vendors and it's pretty much back like you remember it Um, I know that I talked to some people who had been to a few conferences early when people and they Mm. were dead but now things are starting to come back to life and please everybody go out support these conferences and and show up in person really good point (laughs) with your peers are you going to VMX Ed I am not going to VMX, um, but I really would like to. I, I, just haven't, I haven't worked with VMX in a while, actually. Um, I have done the the northern, uh, what do they call it now? Oh, the, the Midwest Vet Conference? No, not the Midwest. Um, oh, I thought that was VMX. Are you thinking like NAVC? Yes, at ABC. Okay. Did it turn into VMX? It turned into VMX. Okay. Yeah, I did those, but I did four years in a row. And they said, look, we need some fresh, fresh people. <laughs> I understand. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Circulate through. 
but I should be about back up on, on the roster. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. yeah. All right. Well, yeah. um, aside from all of Ed's lectures, if you want to learn anything else from him too, he does have a textbook. It's, um, on my wish list of things. It's the cardiology right. for veterinary technicians and nurses book. Um, it's can, basically the cardio Bible. equivalent of what we talk about, which is the internal medicine for vet tech. Yeah. So if you're into cardio or you just, you just want to know more about cardio, go check out that book. I've, I've seen it in person and I, and I, <laughs> I almost bought it, but I, I bought too many things that time. So. And if I'm at a conference and you bring one with you, I will happily sign it for you. Oh my God. I would love that. I'm going to bring like a silver Sharpie so you can like rock star status sign it. Nope. I'll (laughs) sign it with whatever pen you like. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm going to have to like carry around like the bad tech book. An uplifting note. Oh, like something motivational. Yep. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, Awesome. So everybody bring your cardio book whenever Ed's speaking and give them some rock star status to make them sign your book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this week we are talking about PDAs um, and Ed's going to go into more details about this just because this is definitely a him thing. I've seen a few of these cases, but I haven't seen a lot of them. Um, so kind of starting off kind of how we started last week, Ed, what is the true definition of a PDA? Like I can picture it, but... I can picture just my ultrasound images that we see. <laughs> so well, I think we need to start one. with, it's not public display of affection. No. It is <laughs> not public displays of affection, which I actually fully support. <laughs> nice. I, I strongly believe in holding hands with your your loved one in pub- public. So please, please do so. Um, <laughs> There's actually a couple studies on that too, that a lot of the countries that do show PDA, this is really off topic, but this is normal for us. Um, but there's studies that I looked at that show like those countries that do show PDA, like they'll hold hands with their friends and stuff like that as they're walking down Mm -hmm. the street. And like, they tend to just be like overall happier than people who don't. I can completely believe that. Think about how crabby everybody's become from a lack of human contact. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So what is this PDA? (laughs) So So, cardiology PDA. (laughs) PDA. PDA is the abbreviation for patent ductus arteriosus, um, which is a big fancy way of saying a vessel, which in this case is the ductus arteriosus, that is patent, right? It has mm-hmm. blood flow through it. And it's not supposed now, to, right? It's not supposed to, depending on your age. Oh, okay. Right? Well, yes, so, that makes sense. Right. Because if you are zero years old and maybe still in the womb, okay, actually entirely still in the womb, (laughs) ductus arteriosus is supposed to be open. If you're a fetus. Yeah. If you're a fetus. So if your birthday hasn't yet come, (laughs) if you are negative days old, then the ductus arteriosus is supposed to be open. And this is true for all mammals. Um, PDA does happen in virtually all the mammals that we know of, uh, that we've looked at. It's certainly horses, cattle, goats, sheep, 
humans, dogs, cats. It's more common in some species than others. Um, horses is actually not that uncommon in, and they can actually take a week or so to, to close. So people don't get oh, wow. too alarmed and then, and they usually do close. So that's kind of nice, but let's back up. So when you are a fetus, you don't need your lungs for oxygenation. You get all of your oxygen from the maternal blood flow. And so there's a couple of physiological shunts in the fetus that allow blood to move through the cir circulatory system properly. And the way this works with the lungs and the heart is to bypass your lungs, most of the blood leaving your right ventricle goes out the pulmonary artery and then straight through the ductus arteriosus, which empties into the descending aorta. This is a lot easier to picture if you have pictures. So when you're <laughs> listening to this podcast, if you want to pull up on YouTube, like some pictures or Google this, it, it makes a little more sense. Um, or you can open up uh, Ed's book. Right. If you open up Ed's <laughs> book, there's a drawing in there that I did myself. I'm very proud oh. of um, if you'd like to see it. Uh, it's done in PowerPoint, so it's nice and square because I'm a terrible artist. <laughs> so your heart will then move this blood through the ductus arteriosus into the descending aorta. And then it travels down and then comes through the circulatory system. And as it returns back to the liver, it actually gets shunted out to mom. And then fresh blood comes back in and it goes through the cir circulatory system. It actually comes in through the vena cava. So this is what's really cool is the oxygenated blood. I'm getting a far field here. Oxygenated blood comes in from maternal flow and goes through the vena cava into the right atrium. And then most of it actually flows across from the right atrium to the left atrium and actually goes down into the left ventricle. And then that oxygenated blood goes out to the rest of the body where cool. it, here's the really cool part, is the most oxygenated blood as it leaves the aorta, think about where the brachycephalic trunk is, it goes to the head. Then as that oxygenated blood makes the turn and starts to head down to the rest of the body, the deoxygenated blood that's coming from the fetus body that's going into the right ventricle comes and mixes with it. So the lower half of the fetus gets a mixed oxygen saturated blood, but the brain gets pure oxygenated blood from the mother. So those are our shots. Yep. Huh. Um, I like that you so, thoroughly enjoy talking about this stuff, by the way, <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. Even my cardiologist says, Oh, you need to know something about em embryology. You need to go ask it. <laughs> you can tell you have like this weird, not weird, but you, you have this passion for it that it's just so like, you're like, this is, hold on. I got to tell you guys about this. <laughs> I love well, it. And so now we've got our shunts, right? You've got the Peyton or you have a foramen ovale. You've got the ductus arteriosus. And then, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget the one that's in the, the liver. Uh, oh, the hep hepatic portal shunt. 
right? I was like, that, we could get that for you. <laughs> so what is supposed to happen right after you are born is, this is cool physiology actually. When the newly born infant takes its first breath, right? The lungs expand and when they do, the vascular resistance in the pulmonary artery drops dramatically. And so blood takes the path of least resistance. And now what it does is when the right ventricle contracts, blood takes the path of least resistance and it goes out to the lungs. And I should say that even in the fetus, there's a little bit of blood flow that goes to the lungs because the lungs need oxygen oxygen to develop in the fetus. So it's not like no blood goes there. Just the majority of it goes through the ductus arteriosus. So when you breathe and your lungs expand and uh, the pulmonary vascular resistance drops because all the vessels expand with all the lungs, blood takes the path of least resistance. It goes out into the lungs and then the amount of blood going through the ductus arteriosus dramatically reduces. And this sets up a biological cascade that's beyond the scope of this discussion that causes the ductus arteriosus to close. And it closes completely and forms a thing called um, arteriosus lig ligamentum. Oh, wow. Hmm. So it, and you can find it. Like if you dissect a heart, you can actually find the arteriosus lig ligamentum, which is, it just looks like a little band of tissue that used to be the ductus arteriosus. So then blood flow goes in the normal direction and the foramen ovale closes and you shut off fetal circulation. And so the, the portal shunt closes off as well and blood flows in the normal cir circulation that we expect, the, the two pumps in series that we discussed last, last time we got together. Yeah. As nice. opposed to two pumps in parallel. The fetus circulation is two two pumps in parallel. Go and Oh, them. right. That makes sense. So huh. what happens is in some cases, the ductus arteriosus does not close. Hence you have patent ductus arteriosus. Now, are there specific breeds that you, I, I don't remember. I think what I saw this in was like a Yorkie, but it's been a really long time. But are there specific like little breeds? Little. Yeah, I mean, like obviously just little dogs, um, but what are the most common ones that you've seen this in? So Maltese, Shelties, um, oh, what's the other one I'm trying to think of? Um, the Maltese's, the Shelties, uh, we see it in a fair number of um, like the other little dogs. I've seen it in Pomeranians. I've seen it. It's not uncommon in Yorkies. Shih But uh, yeah, Shih Tzu. But we actually have Dobermans. We've got a couple of Dobermans mm. that we're looking at right, right now that we're going to be closing um i've seen are they in, litter mates yeah they are 
Oh, Actually, wow. they're not they're not litter mates, but they're from similar breed breedings. Oh wow! Okay. Back to pre bred pre bred election. So the Maltese is the top top of the list. Um, all the small small breed dogs, Shelties, German Shepherds for sure. That's the one I was trying to think of, and I was thinking of all the other breeds instead. Oh, um, wow. German, yeah, German Shepherds are interesting because they get these giant PDAs that are wide open. They're really hard hard to close. And like I said, you can see it. I've seen it in virtually every breed that I can imagine. Um, and females are more commonly affected than the males are. Hmm. Uh, again, I've seen it in cats. Wow. It's really rare. I've maybe seen two or three in cats. Um, you so said these it was are kind of common in horses, though, like it, yeah, for a couple well, days. Yeah, it's common in horses for a week week to 10, 10 days. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And then they will often go up and close, but also horses get ventricular septal defects that will be innocent fi findings in them as well. It doesn't affect their per performance at all. So horses are, are kind of weird little creatures. They're, They're definitely like, their yeah, own breed for like sure. Some, <laughs> some, some holes in our heart. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, Interesting. And generally, these things get diagnosed as puppies. And I say generally because I have seen adult dogs that come in with PDAs that no one has actually diagnosed yet. My favorite story about that was the um, ophthalmology service at the University of Missouri was about to do a surgery on a collie, seven-year-old collie, and the Sad. anesthesiologist yeah, seven. And the anesthesia student was putting in the esophageal stethoscope and she looked up and went, does anyone know this dog has a murmur? And the, the, I was standing there when this happened. It was great. The two ophthalmology faculty and the resident all, all looked at each other and went, I thought you listened to the dog. Why thought you listened to the dog? Why thought you listened to the dog? <laughs> and then the senior said, well, you know, we're ophthalmology. We don't really use steth stethoscopes. So. Nice. Oh, my and, God. And the poor dog was under. And so they went in and fixed the eye. And then it came back to cardio like two weeks later. And we closed the PDA. And they went on and did, <laughs> did great. But yeah. Nice. so It's crazy, though. Yeah. I'm surprised that that dog didn't have any symptoms. And that's the next question you ask is what happens yeah. with these guys. So. Yeah. So let's back up to the physiology for just, just a second. That's my so favorite what part. With, <laughs> so what, what happens with this flow is when you have the PDA, the patent ductus arteriosus, blood flow will, you have to think about the way the pressures work, right? So the pressure in the aorta is 120 over 80, right? Basic blood pressure. Pressure in the pulmonary artery is about 25 over 10, 30 over 10, some, something like that. So blood always flows from high pressure to low. So once the patient breathes and the pulmonary vascular pressures drop and the pulmonary arterial pressure drops, then the shunt, so think about this, right? We had a shunt that was normal, that was going from pulmonary artery into the aorta and down to the body, right? Then you breathe 
you take a deep breath as a baby and suddenly the pressures change in your pulmonary artery to where they're much lower than the aorta, the blood goes the other direction. So what we think of as the common PDA flow is from aorta into pulmonary artery. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all about the pressures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to picture it. I'm just pictures. Yeah. <laughs> so the amount of pictures in my head right now are just. <laughs> right. I know. So, I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so here's how here's how I would explain it to clients when they would call. I would say, imagine that your plumbers, when they built your house, mistakenly attached the hot water pipe and the cold water pipe together in the wall <clears throat> so that the hot water was running down the pipe and crossing over that abnormal pipe and coming out the cold. That's what the PDA is doing. That makes a lot of and, sense. Yep. And, and we'll just say it's because the hot water pressure has higher pressure because it's always going to go to the high pressure low. So the aorta has higher pressure. And so the blood is going to go from the aorta back into the pulmonary artery and out to the lungs. Okay. Okay. Because the location of the ductus is out in the pulmonary artery mm -hmm. downstream of the pul pulmonic valve. So it mm -hmm. doesn't go back into the right vent ventricle at all. It goes out into the lungs and it mixes with all the blood coming from the lungs and all of that are, sorry, coming from the body through the right ventricle. So you have blood flow from the aorta, blood flow from the right ventricle coming mm -hmm. together in the pulmonary artery, going over to the left, through the lungs to the left at atrium. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you basically have double the volume of blood that it's supposed to be going back to the left atrium and ventricle because you've got shunt flow plus mm -hmm. pulmonary ar arterial flow. That's what we're seeing. That nice. extra blood causes the left ventricle to dilate because it's got a ton of vol volume now and it's got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So the left ventricle dilates and over the course of time, the heart will lose contractility because it's so stretched out. It will try to adapt and it does really well at that for about a year. <laughs> the, the statistics are that about two thirds of dogs with PDA will go into left-sided congestive heart failure by a year of age. If not corrected. If not corrected. Okay. That's wow. the natural course. That makes sense. Okay. So <laughs> and they had a seven-year-old dog. I know. Right. This is, this is what <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm like, how was this dog not how? like syncopole like crazy? How? That's a great question. And there's a pretty straightforward answer. So the shape of the actual ductus arteriosus plays a huge part in that. And there's a whole cl classification scheme. But if you think of the ductus arteriosus as shaped like a tube of toothpaste, uh -huh. at one end you have where the toothpaste comes out. That's the ap aperture. That's the, that's the end that's at the pulmonary artery side. 
and it's usually the smallest. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. size of that hole dictates how much volume is coming through the shunt. I see, I see. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So if it's a small aperture at the end, then not as much volume can get through. And not and as they much can do, And they can do better longer because they're not as volume loaded. Got it. In the case of the German Shepherd, they're... PDAs are often wide open, like someone cut the whole top of the tube of toothpaste off. And what you have is the entire diameter of the tube of toothpaste going into or carrying blood blood flow. So it's a large volume. Mm -hmm. But in that dog, it couldn't have been because... In that particular dog, the Collie, the seven-year-old Collie, it had a very small hole. And so Mm -hmm. it was able to deal with that over mm-hmm. the course of time. Now in our normal, so say our normal puppies are quote unquote normal puppies with PDA, what symptoms are they gonna show before, before the whole left ventricle dilates like crazy after a year or well, so? That's, that's the part that is fascinating is they'll show nothing. They'll nothing. be normal, happy, healthy puppy running around the yard, look, look great. So how do you know he hasn't? That's mm-hmm. the question. So that's a question for you guys. How do you know when that puppy comes in at eight weeks or 12 weeks or 16 weeks for its vac- vaccination? How do you know if you need to suspect the PDA or not? The murmur. The murmur. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I would say it's, it's yeah. a pretty, it's, a, I think we it's talked a very about this distinct in, murmur. <laughs> I would say, I think we talked about this in one of the basics episodes. So too, it's in a specific spot. Under physical exam. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In physical exam, we talked about murmurs and we talked about, remember, we talked about timing, location, and grade, right? So PDA murmurs are incredibly distinctive. And they are the, for all intents and purposes, unless you're a weird cardio geek like me, if you hear a continuous murmur in a patient, you can bet money that it's going to be a pda there's mm-hmm. only a couple of other really weird rare things that only cardio people who see a thousand cases <laughs> ever see right, right? and don't go look someday, for unicorns <laughs> yeah someday we should do a podcast about unicorns oh yeah that'd I, be cool i actually wrote, i wrote a whole paper for the um to for for today's veterinary nurse on uncommon congenital defects which are actually uncommon to begin with yeah but you gotta i think it's fair to state that of if you take all the congenital heart defects in dogs the incidence of congenital heart disease in dogs is less than one percent wow mm. yeah and it's actually really low being in the field as long as you have i'm sure you've seen so not so many of those weird congenital things, but enough that like, just given the length and lifespan of normal veterinary technicians. Yeah. I can think of only one. I can think of only one congenital defect that I've not seen yet. That's wow. it's, I mean, it's very rare. So yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But I could only think think of one that I haven't seen in some ver- version or or another. It's like 
Ed's bingo um, game. He's like, yeah, kind it. of. Yeah, I mean, I get that because I kind of have the same thing going on. Like I, I saw my first. This was like a month ago. We saw an esophageal diverticulum. Oh, there um, you go. Oh, and that was one of those things where I was like, I'm never gonna see this again because <laughs> we, we scoped the dog, and I was like, this is cool. Yeah, you get one in a lifetime. So yeah. before I forget, before we get off this, this is the important things: is the murmur. So. Mm-hmm. it's a continuous murmur so you're going to hear it throughout the cardiac cycle meaning systole and diastole not to be confused with the term holosystolic which a lot of veterinarians do they confuse continuous and holosystolic holosystolic just means all of systole continuous is actually all of systole all of diastole never goes away so i hope this sound mm-hmm. comes through but it's it's the no no breaks yeah right as opposed to systolic would be more like fair enough yeah Yeah. i like i think the sound effects are actually super helpful just because (laughs) it's one of those things that you can just put some like a patient with it you know it's like you've heard it and you're like oh that's what that was well i actually made i actually mm -hmm. made a joke one time that we should make all cardio v- vts candidates come come to the front of the room and sim- simulate a murmur <laughs> yes. at, to be chosen at the whim of the cardio proctor in the room at the time mm. i thought it was a great idea i think it's a great is idea that, is that like cardio charades you're like kind i'm just of. gonna let's do this it's like those youtube videos of the doctors like showing different um like ekg things <laughs> oh yeah oh the, yeah the, the, the arrhythmia dance is a gorgeous thing yeah yeah you could do that you could do an arrhythmia dance and a murmur sound that would be cool i like it yeah i, I might i might suggest it sorry future um, cardio vts so, yeah right all cardio vts is for the future listening sorry it was jordan's idea um so I it's a make it a game hard. i didn't say use it to like get your degree your certification just oh, saying no we want to make it hard no i i think you should <laughs> definitely have to do it to get your certification hey vts uh, are like evil. top tier that's right <laughs> all right tier one man anyway all right um, so back to diagnosing these things we yeah. digress all right so what we're looking at is a puppy most likely that has a continuous murmur it's going to be loud like a five or a six so mm-hmm. it means they're going to have a thrill if you go back to the physical exam right they're going to have a thrill and this murmur is going to be way in the left axillary so way up in the armpit on the left side about as high in the armpit as you you can get because oddly enough although we call it a congenital heart defect it's actually a congenital great vessel defect i'm probably the only person Mm -hmm. who actually makes that distinction but if you think about it the heart is fine it's not a heart defect it's a yeah. vessel defect. That makes sense. Right? Yeah, totally and so, makes sense. so when you're listening, you're not going to be listening over the heart. Yeah, it's you're not going to be at that mitral valve area. It's not going to be at the aortic valve level. It's not going to be at the pulmonic. It's going to be up at the very, very top of the heart where the great vessels cross as they come out of the heart. 
Mm. Yeah. So it's not even in the heart. It's yeah. It's not even the- in the heart. In fact, and this is an important point, is that it actually is in the distal main branch of the pulmonary artery and the descending aorta. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's already mm-hmm. made the arch and it's at the descending portion of the aorta. I see. Okay. You know what's really cool is like I've been in these procedures, so I'm totally picturing this the the fluoroscopy and images right now, and I'm like, oh, that's what I'm seeing. Okay, it makes <gasps> sense now, does doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, loud continuous murmur at the left great vessel, left base, really high crane, cranial base, um, and then the really cool part of this is they have what we term hyperkinetic pulses. So if you feel the arterial pulse, Mm -hmm. we'll go back to physiology for just a minute. Um, I think somewhere along the way, I said, you can't measure blood pressure by feeling a pulse. All you can do is tell what you're feeling is a difference between the systolic pressure and the diastolic pressure. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if a normal pulse is 120 over 80, that's what you're feeling. If you're feeling that 40 millimeter mer- mercury difference. Well, in the case of the ductus arteriosus or patent ductus arteriosus, if you think about it, the aortic valve closes and blood runs out of the aorta into the pulmonary artery, okay? So that 80 changes from 120 over 80 to 120 over, let's say 50. That Mm. makes sense? So now when the systolic pressure comes, the Mm -hmm. difference between 50 to 120 Mm -hmm. is much more than 80 to 120. And you feel a really strong- Like bounding pulses. Bounding pulse, exactly. Hmm. Interesting. That's why- that's why the pulses are hyperkinetic. So and how do we, aside from just listening and putting all the physical exam together, like what's next? Well, in diagnosing. In the 21st century, echo. Mm-hmm. In the 20th century, you had to do other things like radiographs. <laughs> It's a very yeah. archaic tech technique where you lay a patient on a plate that has a piece of plastic coated with a, a silver amalgam formula. And when you shoot gamma rays at it, it changes the density of, or the density of the body <laughs> changes the amount of X or gamma rays that hit this silver. And then you have to go into this room that has a red light I was like, what are we talking about? I'm like, oh, OG, OG, like radiographs. Yeah. Ooh, Jordan, did you ever have to like develop like film? I learned it in school. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. And the first, the first practice I worked at, we had like in school, I had to dip it. But in the first practice I worked at, we had. You know how she's saying dipping? I think this dipping is like the dental x-rays is what she's dipping no they were like in school it was like actual film yeah okay (laughs) you know back in 2007 okay oh so long ago 
<laughs> so now now we just go straight to to echo and you make make the diagnosis but there are characteristic findings on x-ray of a patent ductus arteriosus um, mostly mm. you see enlargement of the left side and then you can see bulging of the pulmonary artery and the aorta on the dv oh, view interesting. right because they'll they'll bulge out to the side and you get this bumping effect that you can spot is pretty characteristic. Um, I wonder if that's why, because when I was in school, they always taught us to do DV images for cardiac. And I was like, uh, why? <laughs> okay, actually I can answer that question for you. So everybody who's listening, this is actually very useful. No, makes good. a lot of sense when, when I explain it, you're gonna be like, oh, well, duh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what we're looking at for cardiac is the shape of the cardiac silhouette and the great vessels, right? Mm -hmm. If you lay a dog on their back, the heart can flip from one side to the other. So it changes the shape uh -oh. of the cardiac silhouette. But if they're DV, if they're sitting sternal, the heart hangs in its normal position. And so you get an accurate rep representation of the cardiac silhouette. Ah, right, that is almost like an a duh moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> and if, makes you're, sense. if you're taking radiographs for fluid, you take a VD because mm -hmm. you get the wider part of the spine down on the bottom closest to the plate and the fluid becomes more apparent. It spreads out mm -hmm. because if you think about the thorax, it's wider at the, uh, at the, the dorsal aspect. Right. And narrow down by the sternum. So you get a better view of how much fluid there is in a v VD. That's that's why. Oh, sweet. Nice. Um, I learned so, so much during these episodes. You can do, <laughs> I'm so glad. You can do rate radiographs. Um, and of course, prior to that, it was an angiography to make the definitive diagnosis. And then they'd have to go for surgery for repair now we do an echo right. and here's a great story for you guys about angiography so you got to understand that veterinary cardiology is not that old mm -mm. the i've actually met he's passed away just recently i actually met one of the three guys who started veterinary cardiology back in the 50s and 60s oh wow Okay, so it's not that old of a discipline. The, the founders have just not that long ago passed away. So I used to work with a doctor at the University of Missouri who was a resident under these three guys. Nice. And before they had fluoroscopy, what they would do is they would take a series of flat radiographs and do their injection and take these x-rays, right? Mm. And the way that they would do it, this is so brilliant, is under their x-ray table, they built a trough that would hold five or six plates, x-ray plates, right? Cassette plates. Right. And this doctor's job in his residency was to stand at one end of the table with a broomstick. And when the, the ah. head guys gave the injection, 
they would say push and he would push the plate through one at a time as they exposed them and then they oh pull out God. all six plates and go in and, and develop them and then they would look at him in series and go okay that's that 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 that's amazing isn't that awesome that's really cool because it because it's not like digital where you could just keep pressing the pedal right yeah like, you have to have the plate under it. So that's, that's really cool. That's cool. It's like kids today don't understand that when I was growing up, you had to think about the pictures you were taking because you had to pay to see them. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. So, Oh yeah. I have those in a box somewhere. <laughs> I found so a bunch of rolls get- of film too <laughs> recently <laughs> when we moved. Yeah. When you get your puppies and you think, okay, well, we may have a PDA, you just send them for an echo. And then the, for people who do echoes, the um, diagnosis basically is made when you look at the base of the heart in short axis and you put color over the pulmonary artery Mm -hmm. after it leaves the heart, what you see is continuous color flow and that pul- pulmonary artery. That's really where the diagnosis is made. And then, and then from there, you can you know, visualize the ductus arteriosus. You can make measurements of it. You measure the velocity of blood flow coming through it. Um, the implication being that if it's still at 100 millimeters of mercury different, right? Remember we said aorta is 120 and pulmonary mm. arteries about 25, blood should be moving through there at about five meters per, per second. So if that's still the case, you could say, okay, yeah, he's got a patent ductus arteriosus, but it's still fairly well comp- compensated for, mm. right? right? If they're starting to go into heart failure and lose contractility, then that pressure will come down a little bit because it can't generate a good systolic pressure. And in rare instances, it could be that the over-circulation of blood flow through the lungs is making the pulmonary arterial pressures go up. So what we do is we look at that pressure difference. And so from there, you've made your measurements. Now you've got a definitive diagnosis. You rule out other um, congenital defects because they come often in groups where you get one. It's not uncommon to see more than one. Um, how many of you heard of um, doc, Dr. Ett- Ettinger? Yeah. Okay, right? <laughs> we have Maybe just a books. little bit. <laughs> I was doing an echo one time and he was visiting the University of Missouri and there was no cardiologist there at the time. And we were looking at a case that had um, tet- tetralogy of below. And mm. while I was doing the echo, I discovered that unbeknownst to anybody else, it had a PDA as well. Mm. And he was coming through and I was like, hey, Dr. Ettinger, who he knew my dad real, real well. So he and I had I'd met, met him before. I was like, hey, Dr. Ettinger, am I wrong? Or does this dog with a tet also have a PDA? And he looks at it and he goes, yeah, he's got a PDA too. <laughs> and, and then off he went for the rest of his tour. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, so um, you're gonna rule out your other other po- possible defects, and mm. 
the recommendation at that point is to close them as soon as you di diagnose them. As soon as, when I say as soon as, I mean like you schedule it for, you know, the next few weeks. It's not an emergency, yeah. but it's something you want to take care of because left untreated, they head into left-sided heart failure, right? So yeah. let's say you don't treat them. Let's say mm -hmm. you like um, clients can't do it or whatever. They don't want to, they don't want to spend the money. As the volume load comes, they, they stretch, they stretch, they stretch, they lose contractility. They will often go into atrial fib fibrillation because of the dilation of the left, left side of the heart. And then it's just a downhill slide. And even if you fix them at that point, they may never recover. Where if you yeah. fixed them when they were first diagnosed, you close that P PDA up and they will live a normal life. Mm -hmm. And that's the key point that I used to make to people all the time. There are very few things in cardiology that we can fix and your dog will go on to live a normal life. PDA is that's true. Yeah. No. no yeah. It, and it's sad because I've had a couple of clients that were like, no. And then they come in at like a year and, and, you know, and they're, they're, in in, they're in failure and I'm like, it's too late. Like, well, nope, we can't do it now. Sorry. Like, well, you, you can, but they'll never be the same. Because it's already stretched out and it's right. The They've damage already, is done. The damage yeah. is done. They have re remodeled and their hearts will never be norm normal again. Where if mm -hmm. I fix it, even if they're dilated as a puppy, like they've got enough re resiliency that as the volume corrects itself, they will go back to being no normal. Well, so, from there, really, we just move into how do you treat, treat it? Because mm -hmm. it, it, it used to be full cert like open chest surgery right yes and now we can do it with vascular access yes so just cool there's two broad approaches one is the open thoracic surgery where you do a actual lig ligation um and that's something that the surgeons do the cardiologists don't do those procedures Although there is a funny story about that too. I'll, I'll tell in a minute. Um, actually, I have two funny stories. Um, so you can do the open thoracic procedure where you dissect down to the great vessels. You find the patent ductus arteriosus. You put a ligature around it. You tie it off. And generally the approach is you make two lig ligatures, one at the PA side, one at the aorta side and then you ligate it right mm. that that way because there has been reports of single li ligatures re-cannulating and the blood flow start starts up up again <laughs> nice so the, you know the ideal method is double ligature like and by bisect um mm. i worked with an amazing surgeon at the university of missouri this guy is a rock star surgeon and he's all, all, only does soft, soft tissue surgery. And I asked, I had heard this story and I asked him later, I said like, did this actually happen? He says, oh yeah. And that's actually what I said. So he got a call of a referring veterinarian saying he needed a sur surgery consultation. And so he gets on the phone and says, yeah, you know, what, what can I do to help you? And the guy says, so, um, I've got this patient with a PDA 
and I've got the dog in surgery and I have the chest open right now. Can you tell me what I'm look, looking at? And the surgeon, <laughs> I kid you not, without missing a beat, says, you're looking at a lawsuit. You need to close that dog up and send it in as fast as possible. Oh, kid you my not. God. Scary. <laughs> like, <sighs> I just say, as a, you're looking at a lawsuit. Oh my god. So so that's like, the one approach. Yeah, you're still processing that, aren't you? I was it, it, well, I just I it's it it amazes me what some doctors will be like, yeah, I'm just gonna do this. And you're like, but why? But it sounds simple when you say it. Just open the chest, find the vessel, tie it off, and you're done. And what? there are definitely general practitioners who've got the skill set. Or I've worked with someone and I've learned how to do that. So what are the risks, right? The risks are that that ductus arteriosus rips while you're trying to put a clamp under it, like you're trying to mm -hmm. dissect around it because it's attached. It's got connective tissue all around it. It doesn't just hang out in space. <laughs> and it, and that's the common sequelae is that they're, they're trying to dissect these things out and they tear. And now you've got basically a hole in the aorta and it just bleeds. Like you can't get, a, you can, Ugh. I shouldn't say you can't, but you've got a massive hemorrhage problem on, on your hands. And actually the surgeon that I was just telling you about was doing a cat. And that's exactly what happened on that cat PDA is it ruptured and yeah. he quickly grabbed a hemoclip and just clamped the thing off right on the aorta. He ended up pinching the aorta just a little bit, but it stopped the bleeding. It closed the, the PDA up um, and the cat lived. He had what would... <laughs> if it was a congenital defect would be known as coartation of the aorta where you get coartation is two arches. And so you get kind of a pinching where the aorta tries to art, make another arch. And so he basically just kind of pinched the thing off a little bit. And the cat did, did fine. You know, he, he saved that, that, that cat's life for sure. Um, That's so scary. Yeah. So, you know, a hole in the aorta is not a fun, fun day. <laughs> no, no. So that's the big risk. And, and the older the dog is, the more likely that is to happen because the tissue gets friable. Oh, dang. So, you know, doing it as a puppy is always better because you, they're a little more for, forgiving. Um, and then the, the other method is to do it through vascular access, as you said, Yvonne, where you use a transcatheter device to occlude it. So back to our pipe analogy of you've got two, two pipes in, in the wall that the hot water is running over to the cold water side where it's not supposed to be. So there's two ways I can close this. I can cut a hole in the wall. I can find the pipe. I can close it off, cap it off and take out a piece. That's the sur surgery. And then we fix your wall, right? That, that's a great way to do it. Alternatively, we could go to your plumbing 
and I could run a snake through the plumbing and I could put a plug on the inside and that's going to stop, stop the flow. That's what we do in the cap, cath lab. That's literally how, how I, I would explain it to clients when I would get them on the phone and they get that. It makes sense yeah. to them. So we go through an artery and you can use more than one artery, but the femoral artery is the easiest approach. So that's really what everybody does. And you advance a catheter from the femoral artery into the descending aorta up to where the PDA is. And then you place a device in the PDA that forms a clot and closes off the ductus. So the original device was known as the Gerontico coil, and it has been described as a, as a hairy slink, slinky. So <laughs> yeah. it's a little tiny coil, um, probably maybe depending on which size you pick, they come in lengths of about 10 centimeters, five centimeters when they're straight. And when you push them out of their little straw they live in, they make these little coils that are, you know, three to 10 millimeters, depending on the size you pick. And they, they come in various shapes and sizes and you, you can use them for closing off any number of vessels. And so you would go put a catheter into the ductus arteriosus and then you put these coils in there. I say multiple because one rarely would close it up. And the little fibers on them, they had these Dacron fibers that made them look like hairy slinkies were thrombogenic. And so they would create a clot inside the ductus and that would close, close it off. And I know the next question everybody has in their mind is, well, if you create a clot, don't you run the risk of that clot blowing out and causing an embolus? If you think about the way the blood flows, while that is a possibility, it's extremely rare because the blood flow is going perpendicular to the shunts. And so it just shears right across the top of where the thrombus is. And over time, the body will endothelize, it'll put endothelial cells over the entire clot and seal it off. So that's yeah, how, that's so how cool. you get away with that. So the problem with the coils is they're, they're hard to place. You need lots of them. And they're, as you're placing them, they're easy to blow through into the pulmonary artery or dislodge later. So other devices have been tried. There's a really cool material called nitinol, which is nickel and titanium alloy. And the beauty of it is it's extremely flexible, but has great memory. And so you can shape all kinds of little things with it that you can collapse and fit inside of a catheter. And then when you let them out, they, they go back to their shape again. So there's um, devices like the, called the va vascular plug, which is like a little barrel. And you, know, you push the thing out there and you stick it in the ductus arteriosus and boom, it causes the thrombus. The thing that has been the godsend is what's known as the Amplatz canine ductal occluder. And mm -hmm. it's specific because there's an Amplatz patent, or a, there's an Amplatz ductal occluder that's a slightly different shape because in humans, the shape of the ductus is slightly different. So Dr. Amplatz 
with the help of the veterinarians at believe Minnesota University of Minnesota, they developed this thing specifically for dogs. And it is shaped more like an hourglass where the human one is shaped more like a wine glass. And this little guy you put in so that there's one disc in the pulmonary artery and then it has a little narrow waist. So the bottom of the wine glass goes in the, um, or the bottom of the hourglass goes in the pulmonary artery. And then the narrow waist goes at that aperture of the tooth toothpaste tube, that little bit. And then there's sort of a cup shaped thing that sits in the main body of the ductus arteriosus, what we call the ampulla. And it's on a little cable that's attached by a screw and you push the thing out there, you pop out one disc, you pull it back to where it seats against the wall, the pulmonary artery, you pull your catheter back, you deploy the little cup, you wait 10 minutes, you tell, you tell some jokes, maybe a funny story or two, <laughs> you do another angio, there's no blood, blood flow, you unscrew the cable, you pull it back in, sterile high, high fives all, all around. And as one cardiologist said, then you call the country club and tell them to get your, your, your bag of clubs out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we used um, at my clinic. And it was always super cool to see. And, and I got to listen with my like esophageal stethoscope and it was amazing. Cause you could just like hear the, the, the murmur just disappear. You'd be like, all right, it just goes it's away. gone. Yeah. It's and, really cool. And this procedure is quick enough now that we actually did two one day I don't know, mm -hmm. about two or two or three weeks ago. You can do the entire procedure in about an hour to hour and a half. Um, and then you've got anesthesia and re recovery time on e either end, but they go really qu quickly. So yeah, it's a really it's nice crazy. way of doing this. And it's really good for those patients that are older and have the friable, um, mm. because the, the potential bad outcomes of a trans catheter placement is you don't get it closed or your device blows through to the lungs. Well, if you don't get it closed, well, you can always back out and send them to sur surgery. And I've, I've seen that happen with uh, German Shepherds particularly, mm. or your device blows through and then you either send them to surgery or you just get a bigger device and put it in and clo close the thing up. So what do you do with the one that's out in the lungs? Well, you leave it because it's a small, thing in one area of of the lungs and there's mm -hmm. more than one dog running around out there with uh an amplatz canine ductal decluder out in in a branch of the pulp, pulmonary artery somewhere and they do fine you know one is not a problem crazy yeah and i think for these guys i mean when you're talking to clients it's it's having them understand if they don't do it now, right, you're, you're going to have the issues long-term. Um, and, and if you do it now, they can do remarkably well. Well, is, I mean, the reality is if they don't do it now, there's a 66% chance there will be no long-term. Right. And that's a better way to think of it. It's not that they have to deal with it long-term is that there may not be a long-term. You right. might have that puppy for a year. You know, and that's a hard thing to, to deal with. Um, yeah. 
where if you fix it, you have a normal dog that lives a normal life and it costs you, let's say $4,000 to get it fixed. Well, amortized over the lifetime of that dog <laughs> on right. a day-to-day -day basis, don't get Starbucks every morning. You, you can pay, pay for it. There you go. <laughs> so hmm. I, I think, and because the outcome is so positive, there's really no reason not to fix them because they, right. they do, they're actually normal when, when it's all said and done. Nice. Cause I mean, it's not like they have to be on medications for this or anything. Like it's very straightforward. As long as they're not the in part. failure, mm -hmm. as long as they're not in failure, right? right? If they're not in failure and if they are in failure, it's still the same thing. You manage the failure, you get them scheduled, you close the thing up. Right. That's the number one way to solve the problem is close the ductus. Um, and we've certainly had patients that were in failure. You get them managed, you get them in, you get them closed, you, you get them out. And if they're not too far along, they can do well. If they've been in failure for some time and their heart has re remodeled significantly, then they may not do as well. Right. Um, so here's the last question for you guys. Have you ever heard of a thing called a reversed P PDA? No. No. Wait, we talked about this briefly. We, we talked about it in the physical exam. Yeah. When we talked about differential cyanosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're, that's what I was talking to my boss about. I was like, I learned something during my podcast where the tongue can be blue. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean poor oxygenation because the gums Close. are pink. It's something, something oh, like that's, that. That's another thing. Oh, okay. So dif <laughs> differential cyanosis is when the gums are pink, but the caudal mucous membranes down by the tail and the right. reproductive that's organs are cyanotic. And that's right. a classic finding with what people refer to as the reversed PDA. Hmm. Right, so right, right. The reversed PDA is simply a PDA in which the pressure in the pulmonary artery is higher than the pressure in the aorta. And so instead of going left to right from aorta to pulmonary artery, the shunt, the blood flow goes right to left pulmonary mm. artery to aorta and it remember where we said the pda lives it lives in the descending aorta so when blood deoxygenated blood comes from the um, right ventricle and it mixes with the oxygenated blood of the descending aorta what you get is a lower oxygen content and so the caudal membranes will be cyanotic but the cranial membranes where you're getting blood straight out of the left ventricle through the brachycephalic trunk going to the head is all nice and pink. Hmm. But right. that's, but you would still hear like the PDA traditional sounding murmur. Actually you don't. Oh. That's what's weird about these is they usually come in for some other condition and it becomes an incidental finding. And usually that wow. incidental finding is polycythemia. Oh, right. I that makes sense. That now. 
right? Because the body is responding to the lack of oxygen. Lack of oxygen. So it cranks out red blood cells and you get these dogs that come in with hematocrits in the 70s. Oh, wow. And you got to think PDA because one of your five causes of hypoxemia is a right to left shunt. So and then you and would then, diagnose that with echo. With with echo and and the really coolest thing of all time is the bubble study. So you can actually oh. inject inject ag- agitated saline into a vein and you can see the bubbles move through cir- circulation. Mm-hmm. And this is a really cool thing because if you inject bubbles into a vein, they go through the vein into the right atrium, right? Into the right ventricle, out the pulmonary artery, down the descending aorta. And if you do ultrasound over the descending aorta, you see the air, air bubbles. And, mm. and, and a reverse PDA is only thing that can cause that huh. interesting yeah it's this just this is just cool stuff now these things are <laughs> and, and it's you all don't cool really stuff. And, and you don't really close these because the pulmonary pressures are too high if they're kind of on the border there's some things you, you can try doing but that's really far afield here it's just a cool right. thing to do and the the conventional thinking is that the dogs that have this quote reverse p PDA probably never changed, right? If you remember the normal blood flow in a ductus arteriosus in the fetus goes from pulmonary artery to aorta. Well, let's just say that it never changed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what, that's what they think most of those reverse PDAs are, is, oh, what is which is probably better termed persistent fetal flow it just never shifted oh interesting yeah um now that's not to say there are not cases where the volume load has caused significant pulmonary hypertension in the lungs and you do see pdas that will go from left to right and switch to right right to left and Mm -hmm. those are the ones that the cardiologists have done some um treatment for the pulmonary hypertension they try to get that down and if they can get that down then they'll go ahead and close them and there's a few case case reports out there of that where they use sildenafil but for all intents Mm. and purposes you should kind of think reverse pda you're not going to close it you're going to treat the polycythemia because they so they don't go into heart failure because of the lack of pressure that's would no. be what's causing the heart no they the don't dogs. because because the heart never sees that volume it just goes out through normal circulation ah, that makes um, sense yeah so what what you end up dealing with is the polycythemia interesting cool Chron- chronic hy- hypoxemia so Nice. So that's really kind of the summary of the PDA. So it's the tip of the week. So the, the tip of the week is if you hear a puppy with a loud murmur, you should always listen into the axillary region because these puppies will often have loud mitral regurgitation murmurs as a concurrent 
sound and mm. the diastolic portion of the PDA might be pretty quiet. And so if you're listening over just the apex of the heart, you might hear just the systolic component. And then as you move up to the great vessel area, it will make the diastolic component more apparent. So what you get mm -hmm. is a sound that goes something like this. And that changes where you move your stethoscope from over the heart to over the great vessels. Yeah, yeah. So that's the tip. Nice. And now for the question of the week. I want to know if anybody's seen a reverse PDA aside from Ed. <laughs> aside from Ed. Because <laughs> I'm sure he'll say yes. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes me wonder if I've seen a reverse PDA, but like didn't realize it was a reverse PDA. If you were mm -hmm. working with an internal medicine specialist and they had a case of polycythemia come in, they would have surely considered that as a rule out and yeah. set up for an echo, Guar guaranteed. I mean, most likely. I feel like we've, we have had polycythemia. I think this is just the part where I don't, follow up to see the records because like we've right. had polycythemia that has been referred to cardiology. I just was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what they're mm. looking for is they're ruling out that right to left shot. And I mean, that being said, it could be reverse PDA. It could also be other right, could be other right to left shunts, right? There's more than one right to left shunt that, that, that can occur. They're pretty rare, but, but they do happen happens so there are other causes of of that but the pda causes the most profound polycy polycythemia interesting hmm. i've learned a lot this this week um as per usual uh <laughs> right all right well hopefully your guys's brains are absorbing all of this um next week we have murmurs Oh, murmurs. Yeah. Nice. And valve disease. And valve disease. Which, if you've been listening to the series, we've touched on some of them. So yeah. a smidge review and then some some good like... If you want to review before we talk about that specifically, go back and listen to the physical exam episode because Ed talks a lot about uh, the sounds of murmurs in that episode. <laughs> and um, it's a very good episode to just kind of refresh your brain on. And yeah, because uh, honestly, the murmurs of valve disease are all pretty sim similar. So mm -hmm. it's more about the physiology of the valve disease than the murmurs. Mm -hmm. the, the murmur is the murmur. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, yeah. And then um, some of you might see Ed at a conference. So, uh, you know, if you've got your book, have them sign it. <laughs> and I love questions. Hashtag. I love when pe people come up and ask, ask me questions. It's my favorite part of the conferences. I miss going to if conferences. I, yeah. If I had my way, when I finished doing a talk, I would have like an hour to an answer questions and <laughs> it would be full. Yeah, probably. Probably. All right, you guys. Well, have a wonderful week and we will see you in 
in a week, right? Like yeah. we don't have anything in between. Nothing nope. crazy in between. Nope. Woohoo. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, keep getting your um, learn on and we'll talk with you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.